0: Hello, everyone. Uh, This is Manny Escamilla here in a fairly temperate November, Santa Ana day um, after the elections have all gone down. So this is the first interview that we've done after the elections. And uh, we're going to have a very special guest, uh, councilwoman-elect, Jesse Lopez, who managed to... Fight off a lot of uh, competition over in Ward Three. It was a very interesting race in the sense that um, you know, widely regarded as the most conservative of the wards, and yet we probably have the most, <laughs> or one of the most uh, progressive candidates kind of emerging out of there. So uh, it was a uh, interesting campaign to watch. Uh, you know, personal or the, the the total caveat here is that I was involved in that campaign. Um, I helped support um, as much as I could, and I am just you know very proud of the work that was that was done for it. Uh, so do take that and everything we talk about with a grain of salt because we had worked together to have some sort of victory or progressive victory here. Uh, and I think that you know we have a bit of a chance for a new day in the city of Santa Ana with uh, a new mayor um, and three new council members. So you know, hoping that we complete the trifecta or the, the trifecta, the, um, the seven and get everyone uh, to come down for an interview and kind of see how that goes. So that's a project for another day. Uh, and yeah, you know, for right now, we're just gonna go right into the interview with Jesse Lopez. Hello, everybody. This is Manny Escamilla, the Full Metal Archivist, here with a special guest uh, today in the studio. We have a councilwoman-elect, uh, Jessie Lopez. Is, is this uh, official? Uh, can we say councilwoman-elect now?
1: Yes. <laughs> uh, well, you know, the the results will be, from what I'm hearing, they're going to be certified next week. But we have a pretty good lead, so we're confident we're going to keep it.
0: All right. Well, congratulations on your your victory. Um, I guess I'd start off just by telling um, us a little bit about you.
1: Yeah. uh, Well, first and foremost, thank you. um, And congratulations to you for being part of a victorious team (laughs) (laughs) and um, for having me on your podcast. I'm a really big fan. And so I'm excited to be here. Uh, And so my name is Jesse Lopez, born and raised here in the city of Santana. Um, Proud daughter to two parents from El Salvador And I attended our public schools and um, got involved here in the city doing some activism, um, coming from the activist school, Cal State Long Beach, of course. And so uh, all of the things that I learned there, I wanted to bring back home and see what I could help amplify and how we could empower people in my hometown. And um, that's kind of how I got started here in the city of Santa Ana. All
0: right. Very cool. So... I guess for for a lot of folks that maybe it might be um, that weren't following the election so much or were just kind of a, you know a little less clued into what was going on locally, like could you describe you know that process of, of running and kind of what what this election was like for you?
1: Yeah, it's um, a weird process in the sense that being a candidate is has its own identity all on its own. And so you have to wear the candidate hat 24-7 um, because you are under a microscope um, and anything that you say or do can be judged and essentially be used against you on the court of social media. <laughs> and so we've seen how quickly things like that can um, be impactful to a, ca- a campaign, but the process for me began probably about a year or so ago when the idea of running for city council was a thought in my mind and i it wasn't something that i even thought at the time um, that could happen or that i could achieve and so i ended up going to a bunch of different meetings with the city and doing different research as to how um you run a campaign and what it takes. And I think once, you can learn all of those things, but once you become a candidate, most of that goes out the door because it's such a unique experience. Um, but yeah, it, it was, for, for the most part, it was, it, was, it felt like a, a full year um, that we started this, when we started talking about it. And really, we made everything official like in late July, no, late June, early June I'm sorry early June and once we announced we just um, kept going and um, we stuck to our timeline and we we were trying to do the best that we could under a pandemic Um, we didn't want to make anyone uncomfortable our volunteers um, the voters of War 3 or anyone really that we were engaging with and so that in itself I think is going to be a very unique a story for us to continue sharing because it it you know, every candidate this year, they had, no one had ever known what it was going to be like, or what they would, how they would pivot in terms of handling their traditional field work and their social media, um, and their comms, and because it would be impacted by a pandemic. So, I'm pretty proud of all of the work that we were able to do and how we were able to do it.
0: Yeah, no, this was definitely um, an election season that was uh, unique, historic, in, in very many ways. Um, so I don't know if you can tell me kind of what you see as the broad vision for the incoming council or what you're, you're hoping to do then on the dais. You know, because right now I don't think we um how, how do I say this? Because it's after the election and you are clearly you know like ahead by by so many votes at this point, and you for all intents and purposes councilwoman elect right until the certification. Um, yeah, it's really just now, like, what? so what is the vision that you see kind of coming in with uh, the new folks that are in, uh, you know, your particular vision and kind of how that whole dynamic uh, you anticipate kind of playing out over the next year?
1: Yeah, we have a people-centered vision. That was the platform that we ran on, and nothing is going to change moving forward. We still want to make sure that when we govern, we are centering um, the people and the issues as opposed to centering one individual, because um, I think that's how we've been doing Politics here in the city, which and and it hasn't been working for us, and so the the vision here is going to be rooted in equity. That was what we essentially promised our electorate that every single policy that was gonna come forth from us or that we would champion would be rooted in equity and would have a process for community to have input because we haven't had that here in a very sincere and meaningful way. Um, In the past, we've, we've heard city or city council members ask us for input, but One of the things that I've noticed is um, from attending all the prior council meetings is that people will give their comment and they will say, well, it doesn't even matter because you already are going to vote one way. And so that was always disheartening to hear, knowing that uh, people had frustrations and they were being vocal about it. They were doing their duty. Um, But we already knew that certain council members weren't going to necessarily or could be swayed because of. Um, for whatever reason. And so for me, it's really important that we keep that vision of having um, a community-driven process when it comes to development. Um, anything truly that, that we push or that we champion um, needs to benefit our community and, and needs to be rooted in equity. What, how, is, how is it going to benefit um, the people that already live here in Santa Ana um, as opposed to the people of Irvine or Newport? You know, the the other groups that we often hear um, people want to or are sort of concerned about bringing over as opposed to the people that already live here.
0: Right. No, no, no and I totally hear, uh, hear that. Um, you know, one thing I, I've kind of noticed, and I think that you, you might have uh, talked about in prior um, places, is that you use the, the word we a lot. So, yeah, so I don't know, can you tell me a little bit about that? Because it's, it's a lot of we and it's definitely not so much I. Um. Yeah, um, I
1: ha- I can't remember where I was and I had to like make that clarification because sometimes people will say, who are you talking about, <laughs> you know? Um, but, it, you know, earlier when I was talking about being a, a candidate is its own identity, I never saw it as, and I never wanted it to be an um, a thing that I did for myself. Because I think that when, when people run um, and and want to have power, and and that is coming out of arrogance or ego, um, we have seen how unhelpful that is for our communities. And so when I talk about we, I mean the the working families of War Three. That is who elected me um, to represent them and the issues that concerns concern us. And so this is not something that I am doing by myself. This is something that we're doing together. Um, And you're very much a part of that we. And so when you hear me say we, it's my team, and it's um, the base that supports us and the base that expects us to deliver on the promises that we campaigned on.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, I guess just for the the audience, um, so for full disclosure, um, I was one of the, I'd say, main volunteers in, in uh, Jesse Lopez's campaign. Um, we had met, I think, on my, on my prior uh, campaign effort. So thank you so much. I appreciated the uh, support um, during that effort. And, um, you know, I, I I don't want to say it was just uh, you and I, right? Because we had a, an, an amazing team that kind of came together. So I don't know if you can kind of talk about how that... Um, unique kind of cooperative model sort of emerged in this cycle? Because I, I do think that that's something that's uh, fairly distinct that I, I had not seen before, um, at least on for pro- progressive politics in the city.
1: Yeah, I think I don't want to speak for the cooperative team um, or how they came to that decision. My assumption is that I think the loss of your candidacy was so devastating to our community. So many people were invested in in and you winning and wanted that for the city of Santa Ana. And so we re, we realized, you know, when, when we come up so short, you know, you lost by a hundred and something votes. Um, that was something that was attainable. And so I think that people recognize what can we do moving forward to ensure that this doesn't happen again. And part of that is making sure that grassroots candidates like you, like me, like others in the city, have the support and the resources. It's not enough to encourage people to run for office and then kind of just leave them hanging. You know, we need people to knock on doors. We need people to call, to text. We need people that can um, to donate whatever they can. Um, So it really becomes this this community project that we want to involve everyone that is gonna be invested in, um, to be a part of. And so I think the cooperative motto is, is beneficial. We we, you know, it's been proven to work. I think it's fair to say that. And, um, you know, we ran on a sleigh that had school board members, you know, Carolyn Torres and Dr. Alfonso Alvarez. We ran um, with uh, Vicente Sarmiento because we recognized that all of the things that we were talking about were intertwined and we don't we understand that we're we are one vote but one vote doesn't push policy forward and so how could we thinking long term come together and make sure that um, we were championing the policies that were important to the, the working families of not just war three but um, up, up, all of Santana truly, and um, that was really impactful. And I think that it really connected with people, as we've seen the whole slate won, um, and and we ran really boldly and being authentic to what we believe is good, um, is good government.
0: Yeah, I, I can I can see that. And, you know, congratulations. It was definitely an interesting and kind of victorious around the. You know, a sweep of the local Santa Ana elections. Um, now, the makeup of this new council, um, it actually is kind of an interesting level of diversity then, right? So we have a, mm-hmm. a, all, a all of Latin America, or at least a significant amount of Latin America. <laughs> not all of it. <laughs> not all. I know not all of um,
1: it. <laughs> yeah, Vicente is Bolivian. Uh, I am Salvadorian. I am Thai is Vietnamese. Um, and Jonathan is... Mexican or slash Chicano. I'm not sure if he identifies as Chicano, but um, he's Mexican. And so I I, and Phil is Filipino, and David is also Mexican, and Elida's Mexican. And so I think it's really important because when we think about Santana, we or in the past, we've thought about it as being predominantly a Mexican city, and it is. And um, I think that, you know, for me, something that was very exciting was when I was out there talking to War Three families and I could hear an acento. And I was like, oh, I want to know where they're from. <laughs> um, and so that was really, really fun uh, to connect with families that were also Salvadorian or other parts of Central America, Latin America. Um, and I think for them, it was like, oh, oh, wow, you know, you're Salvadorian. And it was a point of connection that was special for both sides. Um, and, and I think that it just goes to show uh, the diversity that we have here in the city. And I think that's something that we should be proud of and that we should celebrate.
0: No, absolutely, and I think that the you know one of the things that makes the city special is the um, welcoming of people from a bunch of different backgrounds, and it, uh, I think that's at least um, from my perspective part of what the the fight is right now is to try to make sure that Santana remains welcoming for you know people from all backgrounds and not just uh, uh, those that can uh, afford market rate housing and are kind of only of one particular economic background. I, I do think that having a diversity of um, of residents is good for the city yeah. overall. I
1: mean, it's what makes, it's what people love about the city, right? The cultural diversity. So why would we want to work to eradicate the people that built the city or that add so much to it?
0: Okay. So um, as someone uh, born and raised uh, in, in the city, which schools did you attend? Um, any interesting experiences there?
1: Yes, I have a funny story actually. Um, So I went, I started off at um, Wilson and then uh, they ended up um, switching the boundaries for the school district. So then I was moved over to uh, Hoover Elementary and they implemented a busing system. And so they would bus us over to Hoover um, and I lived right across Willard Intermediate. Um, And so I'm a proud Hoover Hornet. Um, and my mom was a, a lunch lady at Hoover. So at the time for me, it was so devastating to you know, have a parent working <laughs> in, in in the same school that I was going to. Um, and a lot of people weren't fond of that. And so, but now, you know, I have like the best memories and pictures of my mom there. And uh, my brother ended up going to Hoover as well. And when I graduated Hoover, I, I uh, went over to Willard, so I was. This is prior to like. Actually, I'm not gonna say that because then I'll probably date myself. Oh, nice. <laughs> um, but I graduated from Willard, which was a massive accomplishment, you know, at, at the time. Anyway, um, and then I went over to Santa Ana High School, so Go Saints. I graduated from Santa Ana High School, and I went to SAC for a little bit and I've talked about this before, I um, I didn't take SAC so seriously. I was so young and I was working and I was so focused on making money and paying rent because at the time I was already uh, not living in my mom's house. My sister and I w- were renting an apartment in the city. And so we were just trying to make ends meet. And so um, that is uh, my history of Sanana Public Schools. Okay. And I loved all of them. So I... I said earlier, I had a funny story. Um, I was, I'm on, like like most people, I'm on next door. And I met someone on there and I, the last name um, just kept, you know, stayed in my mind. And I was like, how do I know this last name? And I ended up asking, like, hey, were you a teacher at Hoover? And it turned out that it was my fifth grade teacher. And he was one of my favorite teachers at Hoover. (laughs) And so it was nice to, like, reconnect. Um, And it turns out he's a Ward 3 resident as well. Um, You know, opposite (laughs) opposite (laughs) ends of the political spectrum. But (laughs) it was interesting to reconnect. Right.
0: But you'll, you'll be representing all of Ward 3. Yes. Um, which I, I think it's going to be a, like an, an important thread to, to try to, to balance, right? It's like um, obviously you're coming in with your own uh, particular political perspectives, but you know when it comes to a lot of local um, issues and quality of life stuff, um, you know how do you foresee like how everyone's going to kind of work together, right? Like that's like the big question. Then it's like how how can you get everyone to come to the table?
1: Yeah, I think that there. You know, there's no surprise that we we all have like different political philosophies, as you said. But I think that at the end of the day, we are we we need to remind ourselves that we are public servants. I don't consider myself a politician, um, and so when we we when we all ran, we recognized that we were doing it. Um, in a sense of being a vessel for the problems that needed to be solved in our community, and so I think I like to think that we're gonna be able to work together to ensure that the quality of life issues that impact all of Santa Ana residents, not just War Three, are gonna be things that we can put our differences aside and really unite ourselves um, and put our community first. You know, like homelessness, like parking. Um, Like finding relief for the families that are suffering from COVID in terms of rental relief um, and things and other things like that. And so I am very hopeful that. that the council is going to be able to unite. Um, and I think that people in, in the city of Sanana want to see a united council because we've seen in the past how fractured those relationships are in terms of how they even interact uh, publicly. And so I think that we're all ready to uh, come together and and get things done for, for the city of, that we all love so much.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah, d- definitely. I yeah, can see That uh, sometimes uh, the political arena ends up being more personal. Uh, um, Yeah.
1: You know, and I I think having said that, Manny, it's also really important for folks to remember that as an activist um, and as somebody that has organized in my community, a part of having those leadership skills is being able to still say, hey, you are wrong, or hey, you're on the opposite side of this issue. Um, and I think that in the past, it's been looked as like, you're being um, problematic, or just, you know, like-
0: Rocking the boat. You're or... rocking
1: the boat. Um, but that is part of being a leader, being able to say, no, this isn't what what's best for our community, and I think that, We can do that in a respectable way, Um, but you know I'm not gonna shy away from that. It's who I am as an activist.
0: All right. So we you had brought up some issues, but like, are there particular implementation items you're hoping to kind of get in within like the first hundred days or something? Is there is there the hundred day plan?
1: We have a one hundred day plan. You know, I think for me right now, because we are still in the era of COVID and we're seeing, I actually don't even know if it's fair for me to say that we're past the first wave. Like, when did that end? Um, And as the state of California and the county of Orange has moved back into a restrictive tier, we have to recognize that people still need rental relief. Um, So those are the things that right now we have to bring to the forefront and help help Uh, pass because we know that over half of the city are renters um, and if we're asking people to not work then we need to be able to provide economic relief for them you know in the city of Sanana we don't have a mandate that that mandates that everyone wear a mask. Although I think the community has done a really good job, I think it's something that we should have in place um, because when we go to stores, we need to also think about our essential workers. Um, you know, I'm a frontline worker right now with LHA, and there's still a lot of education that needs to happen. And so I think that in terms of what we need to focus on, it needs to be that. It needs to be rental relief for our families. It was something that uh, the hardworking families of War Three supported. Um, and so we're not going to be shying away from that. And I think it's really important, especially given the fact now that there's a like a 10 p.m. curfew. And I know that so many of our families, you know, their work days surpass that. And so what is that going to look like right.
0: for them? Yeah, because I think so. We will be going. We just transitioned to purple tier again, and um, yeah, the lockdown will or the curfew will start tomorrow. Um, do you, you know, what's then like the the overall like plan for recovery and uh, figuring out like the city's finances through, through all this mess, right? So how, um, you know, because I, I know it gets super complicated. So I don't know that you, you've had time yet to really dive into that budget and to see like, okay, how's this? How how are we going to keep this all together um, over the, this next year?
1: Yeah, the budget. <laughs> um, we have looked at the budget. I I am familiar with it, and every day I try to, like, learn more and more. Um, but I think in terms of recovery, we need to—I still think that we, we need to make sure that before we even prioritize that, because we're hearing a lot about that right now, um, we need to ensure that people have the means to not go to work. Um, because, you know, we keep going back and forth, and it's because people were never provided relief in the first place, and so, you know, I remember back in probably like uh, June or May, talking to my dad and he was telling me, he's like, yeah, it's awful, but I have no other choice but to work. Um, And so I think about every other family out there that has to work, our undocumented families that don't qualify for federal relief. What are we doing at the local level to support them, to let them know it's okay if you don't go to work, you don't have to panic about not paying rent or the light bill. And I know that we have CARES Fund money, and, and so we I think that the city has done a good job in, in setting aside money for those and creating funds for where people can apply. And so I'm really proud of that. Um, and I think just long-term, thinking about like financial responsibility for the city, we have to talk about um, something that we discussed uh, was uh, the pension issue that we have and how it, it isn't highlighted enough. And what we can do to ensure that moving forward, we're at least um, refinancing some of that debt so that we can save the city money long term. Um, And another thing is, uh, you know, we need to look at at the budget and we need to acknowledge that we have an unequitable budget and so when we talk about making cuts we can't you know throw parks and rec, rec under the bus we can't continue to throw the departments that we need um that we're that we need to help us address the 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 quality of life issues here but say we're gonna continue to um not fund you um so i think we we need to have a conversation about who is taking the biggest pie of the budget and how can we work together how can we all um you know make sacrifices to make sure that we can continue to have like city staff that is full-time. We can continue to have uh, a city hall that is open for residents um, and all the things that are going to help us long-term have a better quality of life.
2: All right.
0: So, yeah, for anyone that, um, you know, is not necessarily always in Ward 3, there's kind of like this perception that Ward 3 is only an affluent ward right um that it is essentially you know the the most uh it's it's a part of the city that has the highest income level and but can you tell me about like what you you know saw as far as uh, the diversity or just kind of like the variety of what ward 3 kind of encompasses yeah (laughs)
1: Um, it was actually one of the many reasons why i decided to run Um, you know Historically, when you think about War Three, or when people think about War Three, it's been focused on one or two neighborhoods. I think that's fair to say, and so the um, the rhetoric has been that there's a very conservative stronghold in War Three, and so at the very beginning, when we announced our candidacy, you know, we were met with a lot of backlash in terms of like somebody like you will never win in War Three. Affordable housing is too radical of an issue for War Three families, like. I remember in my first debate, I mentioned parking and people were like, nobody has a parking issue in Ward 3. What are you talking about? Um, But I knew that I knew my ward the best out of all of the candidates. And, you know, I wasn't wrong. (laughs) Um, And so when I was... You know, it's one of the things that I love about War Three the diversity. And the west side, the west end of War Three is so different from like center and the east uh, side of War Three. And so those were my favorite parts. I mean, I love all of War Three. I think it's a beautiful ward. We have probably the most uh, park space in in all of the city as well. Um, And I think it's because you know, the demographics of the ward. And also, I think that they have been, in the past, the most uh, politically loud about what they they think should happen in the city. And so, you know, Ward 3 has always been an interesting area because even when you look at past elections, um, they have the highest voter turnout. So they have always kind of, uh, they have always come out to vote, and so, um, you know, I think district elections coming up now are going to be interesting because War Three has historically always kind of chosen um, or voted for the council members, and that is all going to change coming up. And so it's going to be interesting.
0: Yeah, So, well, in this particular uh, race, this is like the first time where that didn't happen, right? So that
2: was... Yeah,
1: they didn't have... Well, nobody voted at large except for the mayoral. Race and so um, yeah, so I think that's why people thought like, oh, you can't win in War Three. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, like normally it'd be like, oh, well, you, you can't even win citywide. How can you win only in that war?
1: Exactly, because <laughs> um, it's it it, it 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 is looked at as like the hardest place to to win, and especially when you're running on a a progressive platform, um, people just thought like, there's you have no chance there.
0: Wow. So you definitely believed in yourself like early on. Um, but I think you also and maybe this has not been like part of the narrative as much yet. You were involved in a lot of kind of leadership development um, opportunities. Am, am I correct that you um, got involved in, in different um, yeah. academies? And yeah. so I don't know if you could talk a little bit about like how that prepped you and like if you want to give a shout out to anything that was like particularly impactful.
1: Yeah, thank you. That is left out of the conversation a lot, and it's part of it because, like, I hate talking about myself. Um, But I did... Because I knew for Lee, like, a couple years ago that... um, I was curious about campaigning. I wanted. I'm. All, I'm the type of person that if I'm interested in something, I want to know how it all works. I'm not interested in knowing one piece of it. I want to know how it all comes together. Um, I'm an information hoarder to a sense because I. I like to have all sorts of information, and so I, I did. I'm a graduate of NDTC, which is the National Democratic Training Committee, and so I spent some time in Chicago uh, learning about the digital end of campaigning. And so um, they really prepared me for managing social media like Facebook, Instagram, which is um, what I was able to manage during my campaign, which is crazy, I shouldn't have like even done that. Um, and creating graphics, things like that, um, which was, was kind of what I helped you with mm-hmm. for your campaign. And uh, prior to that, I had done. Um, I'm an emerge alumni as well. So shout out to my emerge sisters. And what is emerge? So emerge is a, a program that trains democratic women um, to be candidates, and so they teach you everything from like your why to find to fundraising. Um, like all the little things that it takes to build a campaign and and help run a campaign. And so going through Emerge, there was a lot of moments where I was like, do I really want to do this? (laughs) Because it's so much work, it it really is so much work. But um, you know, Emerge really equipped me with the proper tools um, and it gave me a different mindset. And so it was really also awesome just to see people Everyday people like myself, right, and and meet a bunch of women that were also uh, were battling with this decision, like should I and can I, um, and and what happens if we don't reach the benchmark? The benchmark. So I think emerge taught me a lot of really good rules, and so coming into to to this uh campaign i understood that it's okay if you don't win there's life after that um because i think sometimes like transitioning from a candidate role and not winning can be like a great space for people and it's like well what do i do now um so that was one one great thing one rule of thumb that they taught me which i thought was really great and um You know, and they taught me other things like imagine winning, and then imagine more. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, those little (laughs) pizza like pieces of information I've always kept in my mind. Like whether the outcome was going to be positive or not favorable to us, I always knew like. There, I can keep going, and this is the only way to create change. We were already, you know, going to council meetings. We were. I was already being vocal. I was already part of different coalitions and 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 helping in my own way. And so, I have a different hat now, um, to a capacity, to a certain capa- like extent. I have a different role, but you know, as I said, I'm still an activist you know, at my core. And so I'm always going to be in tune with my community and always be anchored to them. And so I'm very excited.
0: All right. Well, congratulations on doing all that and still um, retaining it. Yeah, I think the challenge and the question always becomes, it's like how to make that transition right from the activism to the governance. And uh, that is, they're definitely different um, beasts, hopefully serving the same kind of role and goal and the mission. It
1: is a different beast because... Um, you know, being an activist, especially like being an activist on campus, if after so many talks, after so many meetings with administration, you get to the point where you just want to do a banner drop, where you just want to sit in a building, right? And so you don't need to ask permission for those things. You just do them. Um, and so now it's a little bit different. <laughs> A little um, less direct action. <laughs> yeah, it's it's different, but I think that we certainly need more activists in government. We need more people that are in tune with their community. We need more community organizers um, that are not going to center themselves, that are not going to do this for photo ops, that are not going to do this because they have their own self-interest, like uh, motivators that they really believe in the power at the local level, which I do, you know, and and. People have for so long demanded um, that to not be governed in a sense of like having that dominating force. Um, And so I think now. It's one of the really exciting things about Sanayana that we're seeing like everyday common people um, and people that have been vocal in the past say, "Okay, well, my candidacy is a direct outcome of your failure as leadership. And every time that the young people were laughed at and said, well, it doesn't matter because you don't come out to vote. Well, guess what? Now we're going to run for office and we're going to win. And if you
0: know, so, yeah. Yeah, I was literally turning on my, my car the other day, just yesterday. And then on KPCC, I hear the names um, Jesse Lopez, oh, oh. Five Hit <laughs> and Jonathan Hernandez, ushering a new Progressive Millennial oh. Council uh, for the city of Santa Ana.
1: Oh, wow, I love KPCC. <laughs> yeah,
0: so do I. And I was like, I know those people.
1: <laughs> That's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, so. Mm-hmm. um it's so in. <laughs> there you go. Well, yeah, you know, part of it, I guess, was yeah. Uh, you know, so they, they did uh, quote tie in that. So, you know, former uh, guest here and Victor in Ward One. Yeah, um, so the you know relationship, I think you had kind of mentioned. You know, as far as you know, decentering your ego, figuring out kind of what the overall vision and goals are. Um, and to that extent, I think one of the things that I continuously have asked um, different mm-hmm. council candidates and council members that have come on. Is you know what that relationship looks like from the council uh, to the school district as well, because you know for the people that live here, there it's all government, right? It's all our local government. It's harder to kind of make a distinction between those levels and you know mm-hmm. on the technical side. But you know what is you know, kind of that relationship that you envision between the city and the school districts?
1: Yeah, I think. Well, one. Making sure that we work to build that relationship, which I don't think we've had or has been successful, um, or at least has has been some, a relationship that has been ongoing in the past. And so, I think you're right when you say like people don't have the time to differentiate like what you do from what that other person does because we're so busy living our lives. And so I think education is always, always going to be a big component of that. Um, And, you know, and, and not just with that, but even running at the local level in a very... I'm going to say I'm going to use the word simplified race where we're running in district elections. People didn't even know that that was happening. So there's still a lot of, you know, information that needs to be pushed out in in a very like aggressive way for it to reach the people that it's supposed to reach. And so I'm very I'm very excited to be working with Carolyn and with Dr. Alfonso. And because we understand that the issues that we can help with policy at the from the dais are issues that impact um, all of this, the students from uh, that they also help uh, push policy for. And so we understand that the issues are intertwined. And so I think that we're looking forward to really coming together and building an agenda um, where, where we're gonna be supportive of one another. And to me, that's probably the most exciting part of this, like knowing that We have people from the school board and from the city that are excited to be working with one another, that there's mutual respect there, and that we we essentially share the same values and beliefs, which is why we run on the platform together.
0: Mm-hmm. Right, and you guys aren't trying to undercut yeah. and uh, take each other's seats and different. Yeah, lines.
1: and it's also you know the most one of the really beautiful things is like we're not in competition with each other because I often see that with people they're in competition like who can do this better and it's like we don't care about any of those things. We just want to make sure that the work that we're doing is going to be beneficial to our kids and to our families. And so we're really working from a place that there is no ego there. Where we we really do center the community and we're always going to come back and say how can we do things better and what would you like to see and so i think that's something that we haven't seen here in the past and something that i shared with people was like look no one's ever come to my door to my family's house and taking us into consideration they never knocked on the door do you know how many people in war three said to me you're the first person to knock on my door you know and I, i'm shocked you know it, it, and and that is part of the, the issue here. Um, and so that is what we want to change. That That's always what I said, that I want to change. is the relationship that our community has with our government officials, because it's something that is fractured, that doesn't exist, and there's uh, a lot of distrust. And so I know that for Carolyn Alfonso, they, that is something that they care about too.
2: All right,
0: well, good to hear there. Um, hi. Um, Oh, I had a question, and now I'm blanking out, because... (laughs)
1: Welcome to my world.
0: No, but it was like because it was a good answer. And I'm like, yeah, that's right. And so I was just like nodding along. and I'm like, yeah, all okay. right.
1: I have Manny's stamp
0: of approval. Well, yeah, it, it is just about being cooperative, right? At the end of the day, it's like yeah. working together. Um, in a yeah, I think I was going to comment that you know a good start would be maybe if um, the city and the school district started having joint meetings again. Uh, they used to have them. And they kind of canceled them all. Uh,
1: yeah, they we had subcommittees. <laughs> yeah, and they were disbanded not too long ago last year. There's actually a post about that on my Facebook
2: because oh.
1: <laughs> I would. Remember on social media like after every uh, council meeting and so um, you know there was a lot of uh, there's a lot of talk about why they were disbanded and but th- that is something that I'm interested in um, hopefully bringing back because I think that if you have that time and that space to really focus in on that one issue I think that's very informative and why wouldn't we as council members want to know everything that we can right and so I'm supportive of of looking into that
0: Right, And would you also be supportive? Because this is, I think, one thing we, we failed to do was um, bringing in also folks from the Garden Grove School District um, and, uh, you know, I guess maybe the the teacher, the principal, maybe from at least uh, one of the Orange or Tustin uh, schools that are also mm-hmm. within uh, Ward
2: 3. Yeah,
1: that's the really one of the unique things about my ward. So I am part of Sanana Unified School District, Tustin Unified School District, and Garden Grove Unified School District. So I do have relationships or, a like, a working relationship with SAU USD school board members, and also with um, Walter Muneton, which is the president of GGUSD, and so we all want to come together and figure out what we can do uh, moving forward, uh, especially now with with COVID and the digital gap, and how we're seeing that that is truly leaving our kids behind um and with tustin you see that is going to be one of the issues that we need to work towards we don't have those relationships right now um and to my knowledge we've never had them with the city and so i'm interested um in seeing what we can do and what we can achieve um in a collaborative effort there because there there's a big chunk of our families that part that belong to um tustin unified
0: yeah <laughs> Absolutely, and it's like oh, that's right. This is not. Uh,
1: I know, a different school I know a lot district. of people don't know that.
0: Yeah, it's uh, yeah four school districts and uh, a lot of uh, the actually you probably have one or two independent uh, charter schools. I do, um, and as well as uh, some private um, Catholic and Christian schools as yeah. well in the yeah. district. Yeah. yeah, okay. It's a big city. Yeah, that's a <laughs> it's a, a big district. <laughs> it's a big district. It's wide. Uh, it goes all the way across the top.
2: It does.
0: Um, so, one of the major complaints that I always hear is. Um, it's great. You said all this thing, all these things. It's beautiful, wonderful, yay! But you know, you got the votes, and like, what's going to keep you from actually going back to the the, the doors that, that you knocked, right? Like, are you, like, what are you actually going to do to maintain, um, you know, proactive access to people? Like, what are you actually going to do to go talk to people now that you do that? That you're in, right? Like, you don't yeah. have to.
1: Yeah. No, and I think that's a mistake that always happens and we see um, you know and AOC recently said something along those lines right like that base of support that votes for you is always abandoned right after an election and so I know that my team and I are have started talks about the plants that we are internally um, crafting to make sure that we stay in touch with our base. And that not just our base, but how do we grow our base? Um, Because that's really important for us. It wasn't just about knocking on the door once and earning their support and then not ever coming back to them. Um, That's not how we wanna govern. We have always known that from the very beginning. And so now the challenge for us is gonna be not just on the on the governing side, but creating that time and and those, making sure that those plans become actionable things that we do in real life to make sure that we go back to our neighbors and say, hey, this is happening, um, and how are we going to be doing that in the time of Corona in in terms of comms, um, and so things like that are. Uh, are conversations that, that are on the table that are being discussed and we are crafting a plan to make sure that we implement them and that they become more than just thoughts and ideas in our minds right now.
0: All right. So, well, thanks for that. Um, I guess, do you see any emerging controversies, right? Like, okay, you're going to go into this brand new, um, position, um is there anything you already kind of see like storm clouds on the horizon or or anything of that sort is that still too
1: yeah no you know i um I, i always think it's good to talk about those things you know i think that we all know that the makeup of the council is different in certain ways i think one of the things right now that is at the forefront is willowick and we all know that we all want or have different visions for willowick um My vision is one that supports the work that the Rise of Willowick Coalition has done. And I'm also supportive of Tierras Comunitarias and their fight for public land here in the city. And so I want to make sure that as I've said in the past, it it doesn't matter what I think, what I want. The the residents, the immediate families of of the Buena Clinton neighborhood and the Santa Anita uh, neighborhood, have read it, you know, they have been surveyed and they have made their concerns and their vision for what they want to see literally in their backyard. And so we need to respect that and we need to honor that, as I have said in the past. And so. You know, yeah, it's a it's a large plot of land, um, but we are also a, a city that is deficient in, in open space and green space. So why not work towards having that be a regional park or something along the lines of what of what the folks there have already mentioned that they would like to see? You know, I am not in favor of bringing in uh, market rate development. I am not in favor of um Anything that isn't gonna be favorable for 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 the immediate neighborhood and the city, um, as a whole. All
0: right. So, um, so I guess by the rise up Willowick uh, and tierra uh, comunitaria uh, perspective, it would be really focusing in on retaining it as open space. Yes. But,
1: okay. All right.
0: Yeah. Willowick will be will be tough.
1: Willowick is gonna be. You know, it's going to be tough. We have seen how the Garden Grove uh, Council has acted in the past. Um, And you know I know that they're going to defend themselves to the death. Like, we did everything by the book. No, you didn't. And you try to keep the community in in the dark. And when we reached out to Garden Grove City Council to meet, to do the bare minimum of having an open line of communication, they weren't responsive. And neither were certain members of the Santa Ana City Council. And so, you know, and I think it's interesting that Willowick was such a massive topic of conversation in this electorate season. Mm -hmm. But yet none of them have ever supported any action that Willowick has put forth. Um, And I know that there's been conversations because people are are candidates. Uh, But I think that really goes to show where people are at. And so, you know, I, I have I mean, I have so many. Opinions around that, but I do think that Willowick is going to be a fight, and it's something that I'm very passionate about. And so, I mean, I'm if we're gonna still continue to push for for what we we think should be there.
0: Yeah, no, I I can hear the passion in your voice, and I know that that's um, not going <laughs> away. It's not, <laughs> especially on, on that issue. So, um, now what's up with the general plan? Like, what do you feel? Because you know, we talked, I think uh, for a lot of these at Different um, conversations. We also talk about that and you know, the changes in the land use and you know, that, you know, what that big vision for Santa Ana is going mm-hmm. to
1: be. Yeah. Well, right now, one of the biggest uh, call to actions was people saying, "Hey, like, what is the rush in passing the general plan?" Because um, it hasn't been updated in what, like, over a hundred years?
0: <laughs> no, not a hundred years. Oh. Oh, sorry. It's uh, the the last one was. Uh, since before Miguel Polito basically, or just a little bit before, uh, it's like eighty-seven, eighty-eight for the last comprehensive update. Okay. There, there's some small subsections, close that, to, 100 years. Close, not close to hundred years. Well, yeah, for those of us that are that were born uh, prior to that date, it might feel like a hundred years ago. For those of us that are <laughs> slightly bit it older,
1: hasn't been updated in a very long time. In,
0: in my lifetime, yes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and so. Um, knowing that we have such a fight here um, for green space and for open space and just for not just that, but like a lot of the environmental issues that we're seeing, um, and the city coming and saying, We've given you all enough time <laughs> to review the general plan. Like, it now it's time to move it forward. I think it's really unfair and really unrealistic. And as I've said in the past, you can't just upload information to the city's website, which in the past wasn't even that, like, user-friendly mm-hmm. um, for people. And so, you know, I think to them, they 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 do that, and then they're like, well, what else can we do? If people are really interested, then it'll come from them, right?
0: Right, and I think that... you um, and, and I just want to give a shout-out to Jack Shula. He's the uh, director of the IT department. They, they've improved the, the website massively from when I started that. These are but not they...
1: personal attacks no, no, on no, no. people. These are just what we've heard over and over and over so at what point how how many times can i tell you hey manny x y and z isn't working hey manny x y and z isn't working it's not a personal attack on you it's just saying what you're doing isn't working So what can we do differently, right? Mm -hmm. And that's the same idea with the general plan. Like we have said, we need time. You know, I I think that, you know, I heard you called in, you gave your public comment. (laughs) You said, look, even someone like myself who's so highly in tune and so, uh, that that like that document to you is something that you could read over and over again, right? But well, that I, is not the same for every day person like myself.
0: Well, I was gonna say like I myself could not even read the entire thing, uh, you know, page to page, right? It's a, a two thousand uh, page document. I'm still working my way through it and trying to okay. understand the various pieces. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so and yeah, what I'm what trying me. to say is yeah. like if somebody like you is like, uh, maybe we shouldn't. Then I think it's and and. And here's my point, like community members have been saying this for so long. Um, And here we are again, like asking for the bare minimum of just giving us the time to review these these things and really make sure that the issues like environmental justice are being implemented in the general plan. And so, you know, I I just don't understand what the rush is. I, I don't see the point in rushing a document that is so vital for our city without it without making sure that every single component is perfect that is really the standard that we should be working towards here why should we why should we rush something and then come back a year and retroactively try and work to make it better how is that useful um like efficient use of our time of our money of our of our resources that doesn't make any sense
0: yeah no i i totally hear you on that and i think um you know part of it ends up being that we've relied a lot on just like you said, posting and then maybe sharing and then kind of giving it to the same people that kind of show up to the same event. So one of my biggest critiques, again, working for for the city, um, was that our general outreach was always at, like, targeted events, but, you know, it's the same 15 people that always show up. And that's great. Like, I, I know them all by, you know, on a first-name basis. They know me. We can have, like, pretty in-depth conversations. Um, but then it's not reaching people that are outside of those networks, right? And and especially in the areas that are going to be impacted. So, like, the I think the best example is probably for the streetcar line, you know, uh, OCTA decided to host um, or to have someone sitting outside of the front of the library like every day for about four months or something, right? So there's like a little table with OCTA to learn about the streetcar when that person probably could have knocked on every single door along the streetcar line and said, Hey, this is what's coming down uh, the way. Like, here's some information in different languages, and we want to make sure that you stay involved and that you know that this is happening and these are the impacts. Here's some resources to help you get through all that. Yeah. Um, so it's a you know, different way of saying like you know, whether or not you expect people to come to you versus actually giving out yeah, to
1: people. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> that. And that is how... We govern now. And that is how most politicians think of themselves, right? Well, like, you should come to me. Um, so I think that's one of the biggest philosophies that we have. And going just back uh, going back to, um, to Willowick, that is how we were able to survey, you know, X amount of families. And when we went to their door and said, hey, do you know that this is happening? Do you know that they want to create a stadium in your backyard? Um, they were like, no, we had no idea that this is what the city is planning to do. You know, so how, how can, how, we need to change that. And the question becomes is how, I mean, how can we be more efficient and more inclusive of every single voice in the city of Santa Ana?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Mm, Starts with that communication. All right. Well, I know that um, as part of your um, civic engagement and duties now, you have a, a, an event to get to. So I don't know how much more time you have. Um, if you want to go over, over anything else, if you have any like thoughts or. Yeah, I
1: have about 20 more minutes. Oh, you do. Oh,
0: oh, okay then. So let's see. All right. Um, in that case, we have M a M a M M a M ask me
1: anything.
0: Uh, Oh yeah. Okay. Yes. It'll be like a Reddit. Ask me anything. Okay. Um, let's see. Haven't been on one of those in a while, but (laughs) talked about Willowick, got a little bit of the general plan. Um, Let's see. Maybe
1: I can ask you something. What are your thoughts about... um I know you were supportive of the calls to action of delaying the general plan. Maybe, mm-hmm. Like, what made you want to support those calls?
0: Well, I think it's an unfinished document. So, like, I think even my comment um, was related to the fact that the front cover of the mobility document has, like... a That a was
1: ba- so great, by the way.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was a bad Photoshop. So, for anyone, like, if they haven't taken it down yet, um, the front cover for the mobility element has a floating lamp that it's basically like a lamppost that maybe was there in a previous image and somehow got Photoshopped in, and then you have the streetcar in front of it, and then the West End Theater has, like, part of the wall is shifted. Um, so it's just a really bad Photoshop job, right? So things like that, when you can't even get the cover to the document correct, uh, and details like that have, like, not been, like, noticed, um, to me, it just screams, like, hey, slow this down. Um, as someone that was involved heavily... Uh, From the very beginning of the the document, right, I was basically in the city manager's office when the money was authorized to start that general plan um, effort. Um, I was kind of liaisoning and showing up to a lot of those initial kind of outreach events. I did a lot of the outreach um, programs with the advanced planning team there. We had a lot of outreach. We, we did do a lot of initial outreach to kind of figure out the policies, uh, but we haven't taken the time uh, to do the same amount of outreach once the document was written, right? So like to me, that's kind of the you know, the problem there. It's like, well, we've had about three years to um, create at, in the abstract some policies, and then the document itself is only going to be reviewed for three months. That's where I think there was like a, a bit of an imbalance because there was a lot of uh, verbiage there that sounds great. Uh, the immediate one that caught my eye was, "Oh, we're going to add some information about or a policy about never losing parks uh, parkland," but it's you know titled parkland because and that's very specifically like. Uh, areas that are designated parks and officially approved by the city as park. Not that the city will no longer reduce its open space, which mm-hmm. is a totally different, different outcome. Yeah. It's a totally different thing, but it makes it sound like you're getting what you want, but it's yeah. not when you actually yeah, yeah. L- look at what those implications are. So I, I think there are, there are things like that that were kind of buried in the document um, that we just need more people to take a look at and just kind of see you know what's there, what's not there. Um, and yeah, but just with time, it's like, okay, let's, let's do this. Um, let's make sure that everyone's taking a look at this element. Is this exactly as strong as it could be? Let's review the next element. Is this as strong as it could be? Uh, definitely want to you know, to say thank you to SAS as uh, so the Santa Ana Active Street folks. Um, they put together a little panel where we went through the mobility element and that's where we noticed you know the floating <laughs> the floating lamp, lamp. yeah with well, the floating lamp. <laughs> Um, and just other things that were kind of in the plan. They were like, well, we don't know if this works with this. And like, there seems to be some yeah. stuff that's contradicting uh, mm-hmm. each other. Um, but you have to have kind of like the willingness and, you know, somewhat of the community expertise to come in to do that. Sorry, And that's the first time I think the guest has asked me a question. So sorry. I'm just
1: pretending this is my podcast now.
0: <laughs> well, there you go. So this is your podcast number two then. <laughs> All right. There you go. You're getting started and you know what to do things next.
1: come true. <laughs> Um, no, but you know, yes. Thanks to SAS for all of the work that they do. I love that we have like these, uh, like these communities of experts. Truly, mm-hmm. I see you all as experts, right? Like the urban planners, um, the housing. Activists here in the city, like Isuri and Cynthia, with the Kennedy Commission, and so you know when these folks come out and say, "Hey, we need more time," like we need to be able to trust them and we need to be able to support their calls, and so I I am so excited that um, we're so engaged as as a. As a group, um, group is not the right word here, but, but as a generation, and uh, we are just pushing people to perform to uh, to the next level. Um, I don't think we're going to accept any, like, <laughs> anything like we've seen in the past. So yeah. that's the exciting part.
0: Yeah, it's, a, it's definitely a different electorate for sure in a different uh, direction. <laughs> and so let's see. We talked about that um, school relationship, like general plan. Um, you know, one of the, I guess, the big issues, and we kind of uh, maybe skirted around it with the pension debate. Was you know what the relationship is, or what that, um, you know, what modern policing is going to look like. So, what does you know um, a a different form of public safety? or What does public safety look mm. like?
1: Public safety to everyone is, looks different. Um, but to me, I, I do believe that every single family in Worthney and in Anna has the right to feel safe at home and in their neighborhoods. and that includes the recreational areas that they use, um, like the parks. And so I am supportive of making sure that we have everything in place, where families feel comfortable being outdoors. Um, And that is one of the things that, you know, I talked with Ward 3 families about. But I think that public safety um, is much more than that. It's a very big area. Um, We we talk about fire, you know, and we also, we have to, public safety also is inclusive, in my opinion, should be inclusive of education and making sure that um, we're not just centering one specific organization to be in charge of public safety because I don't think that that is sustainable and I think that we've seen that um, become less and less productive and less and less successful for us. And so when we put so much uh, responsibility like like for our officers now we see that they are too stressed too overworked and it's we're not getting any results and something that we talked about in the past is like as taxpayers now we're paying so much and receiving less services something that we often hear is like it takes i can make a call and sometimes police don't even show up or you know they will ask me is somebody dying Like, they need to know if somebody is dying in order for them to dispatch someone. And that is not the expectation that War three families or any family has. Um, And so we we need to revisit what public safety is and um, what it what it's going to look like moving forward when we know that we have social workers, when we can have caseworkers, when we can um, invest in other things. Uh, because the role of police is to de-escalate um, and the role of police is not to necessarily rule and implement fear in people um, and so i think that right now it's it's a little bit inter like too mixed um where people just don't know what to expect where i think in the past people felt more comfortable and saying yeah let's just call and let's get help and now people are saying well if you call you just might get killed so i think that there's a lot that we need to do in terms of public safety here locally at the national level and just everywhere truly
0: yeah well thank you for that and your, your honesty on the importance of reviewing uh, public safety from-
1: yeah well I think we have to be honest about it we what benefit do we get from avoiding having that conversation um and especially if we're gonna say like Black Lives Matter, but we're not gonna have the courage to have that conversation, and seeing how many people have taken to the streets to say this isn't working, this isn't working, um, it doesn't benefit anyone. Not avoid, not having that conversation and being honest about. We're not getting justice. We're not being treated fairly. You know, there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of terror in our communities. Let's just avoid it, <laughs> right. you know, and not address it. What does that resolve? Nothing. Absolutely nothing.
0: Right. And I think there's a there's a pretty interesting historical parallel in, in the city where there was kind of a, a set of tensions roughly around... Um, the early, early to mid-70s in the city, where there were kind of a, a series of near-riots or kind of clashes between uh, the communities of color and the police. Mm-hmm. Um, and it did actually end up leading towards this uh, community uh, oriented policing model that the city of Santa Ana kind of like spearheaded uh, back uh, in the late 80s. Um, so it became a national model in some ways, right? And there's, it's kind of this weird history that the the, the SAPD has kind of gone through cycles um, where, where it's been a little bit more proactive on, on the community side and a little less active on that. Um, I think the overall um, war on drugs, probably in the '90s, helped militarize the the, the um, SAPD probably more so because mm-hmm. it was a very you know active um, had very active um, gang suppression effort because you know there there are more gangs and kind of more gang violence here at, at that point. Um, so I don't know if we've kind of like ebbed away from that yet. And you know, this is one of those things to me where I'd like to you know see how we bring in you know people that are part of the policing kind of apparatus already that are maybe looking to be reformers, to bring them in, to be like, okay, well, you know, you're know you the ones that actually do this job. What can we do to alleviate these concerns and actually make this more effective rather than kind of repeating the same mistakes that we yeah. seem to be doing? Well,
1: one thing that I've often heard is... Um, you know, when we talk about homelessness, and I think that is it, it's appropriate to uh, tie in with the budget and financial responsibility, um, we have heard time and time again from officers say, like, "I of course, this is not what I signed up for. Of course, I don't want to spend three hours trying to talk to somebody or, or get them to the hospital and sit with them while I'm trying to do intake. Right. And so we have heard in the past them say um, this is isn't what I want to do. This isn't what I thought policing would be. Um, And so I think that people now more than ever are open to the option of having uh, social workers and case workers come in and people that are um, trained and equipped to deal with the unhoused population here in the city of Santana. And I think that, you know, for whatever reason, people feel like that is taking away from your role, but it, it's really not, because this was never a part of, like, your role specifications, ever. Um, there's no police officer that I've talked to that says, yeah, that was part of, like, my job description, mm-hmm. right? And so I think... I. As I said in the past, you know, like we have put so much responsibility on this group of people and, and we are seeing that it's just not sustainable N- mentally, like for the well-being of of, of of an individual and fiscally for the cities. Um, and so I think that we have to have that conversation and we have to be able to say we this is no longer working, what can we do separately? And we're not the only ones having that conversation. San Francisco has adopted something very differently. You know, in different areas, I think like Philadelphia, New York, they're now adopting different strategies um, and taking responsibilities away from the police department, like how they deal with uh, homelessness. And I think that that's a really good starting point. I don't think that that should be scary at all. I think that that is something that is long-term going to be healthier for everyone involved in that that problem that we face you know collectively and i think that one thing that we're so concerned or worried about right now is you know fiscal responsibility and i think that when we start to a- attack problems at the root level we will see the benefits of that long term all
0: right yeah to keep the budget there
2: okay yeah
1: yeah all right. We can't, you know, we can't just keep bleeding money. Mm-hmm. How much more are we willing to just throw at an issue to go away? But it's not going away. So we have to be able to make a really, have a hard stance and say, this is how much we're going to earmark for this. And it probably sounds really scary and big. But long term, like, this is how much more we're going to save.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the proactive investments.
1: Yeah. Okay. Like, yeah. we all do that, like, mm-hmm. at, at the well, most <laughs> basic level. You know, like, when I was talking about, like, um... Uh, you know, budget responsibility, um, we all do that in our homes. We take inventory of how much is coming in, and we don't spend more than what we have. So why are we going to accept that from the city to do that? Um, and why are we not demanding that we we're more responsible with essentially our, you know, taxpayer money?
0: Yeah, I totally hear that. So with um you, you gearing up for the period of governance and, you know, a lot of people out there that want to be involved and, you know, to try to help out. Uh, you know, one thing that's always um, an opportunity um, is the appointment of commissioners and appointment of different physicians and um I know you probably don't have, um, maybe you do, maybe you don't, like particular folks in mind, but, you know, what is that process? And, like, so for anyone that wants to kind of get involved, either from Ward 3 or maybe one of the other new um, council members, you know, what, what does that actually look like, to, to be involved as a commissioner?
1: Um, well, maybe you can speak to that since you're a commissioner and I've never been chosen
2: to be one. Oh, okay.
1: um, but from the, the point that, I, that I'm... The responsibility that I have now is to elect a commissioner for different um, commissions. I That is, we are asking people that if they are interested to submit their resume, whatever it is that um, the city application requires. And we are gonna be releasing that from our social media uh, channels, but you can find that on the city's website now. And if you are interested, um, Submit your information, and we're, our, my team and I are going to review it. We are going to put a call out, and this is this is part of that call out. We are looking for for young folks to serve on the Youth Commission. We want to bring in young people that are interested in knowing about the political process here in the city and anyone really that is interested in, in being a part of um, what we're doing here as a whole. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean... You can probably speak more to that, truthfully.
0: Okay. Well, I, I am an arts and culture commissioner for the city. I was appointed uh, roughly, what is this, eight months ago. Um, so when that happened, uh, they shut down, or we had to shut down shortly thereafter.
1: So what was the process for you? You you applied? <laughs> yeah.
0: that's So I applied. There was a small application, sent it, sent it in. Um, and yeah, once it got approved, I did the swearing in ceremony. Um, it was fun. I got to get sworn in with uh, Carlos. Um, and... The process itself was fairly straightforward, basically assisted with arts and culture projects. Um, Fortunately, our uh, commission, so all commissions except for the historic um, uh, resources commission and the planning commission, uh, have been put on pause because of COVID. So I have not uh, done the full. Um, <laughs> committee meeting or yeah, commission meeting yet? Um,
1: and because we're still in COVID, I don't know that that's going to change for yeah. the upcoming year. Yeah. Uh, so we could appoint people, but if they're not meeting, then what is the point?
0: Yeah. Um, it's we're we're pretty much on, on standby. I think I managed to do some um, remote work on some reviewing on reviewing some applications, and that's that's pretty much about it. <laughs> uh, but it's it's been fun. Um, I uh, was expecting a little bit more work. Um, but, yeah, there, there were a lot of things that happened there.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you should still apply, folks. <laughs> you,
0: should, you should definitely still apply. Um, some of them are super important. And I don't think yeah. that people realize, like, um, how much of the work gets done by some of these commissions and kind of uh, it's the one place where a lot of these ideas get vetted before they go to city council. Um, planning commission is probably the one that gets the most amount of attention. Um, in the, Why? Well, you know, it deals with uh, actual like land use decisions as to whether or not something gets built. What's, so
1: what's the major difference between the planning commission, commission and every other?
0: Well, the major difference is that they have actual authority to like mm-hmm. ask for things to full uh, to do full reports, um, and their decisions and recommendations do weigh heavily on um, what the city council ultimately decides. There's not very the commissions and sorry the um, the, the the commissions don't have uh, for the most part. Any actual authority, except in very limited areas, mm-hmm. uh, most of it is to recommend something for the city council to do. So even with the historic commission, like when they like approved like a Mills Act or some kind of historic resource, um, they still are only doing the recommendation, and that has to go to city council. But if you ha- if you have it a yes from the commission, then it's typically a yes mm-hmm. from from the council. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it's a good place to. Um, ask about policies to figure out and get staff to kind of you know, tweak and um, change uh, some of that stuff before it gets to city council. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you can have some early victories there, uh, rather than waiting till the very last moment when everything's pretty much done and
1: the or calling frantically.
0: <laughs> yeah, calling frantically and you know and the even like for developers in their defense, like you know having these last minute changes can really mm-hmm. be the difference between like building something or not building something. Where if maybe if you'd known about it, like. Two three months earlier, something could have happened, but yeah, that timing does actually impact the viability of some of these um, development projects. And you know, for some people, that's great, right? It means they have a better chance of killing it at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but if you're if you are kind of trying to find a balance between actually getting something built and like what's you know, mm-hmm. the ideal, um, you know, the, the, it's it's good to come in early.
1: Okay. Mm-hmm. There you go, folks. You heard it from a commissioner.
0: Yeah, from a commissioner that hasn't sat on a single commission meeting. Um, but I, I've, I've staffed them. I just haven't actually uh, been one yet. Um, so it's, it's funny. I'm hoping for for a different situation yeah. next year.
1: Well, something that maybe I can offer is if you're interested in being a commissioner and have questions, I can put you in touch with somebody that sat on a commission prior to covid so, just talking to folks that have have done that, have gone through that process, and can tell you what to expect in terms of work, um, and everything else that comes with the commission.
0: Yeah, and it's pretty like they're pretty varied, right? So we have like an arts commission, uh, the planning, housing, housing. Uh, there's a transportation, transportation, um, and also let's the see, our measure
1: commission. X. Yeah, the youth, the measure X. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think that There's another one.
0: Personnel. So we have the personnel one. That one actually gets pretty dicey, and they do have some authority. Um, Ooh. Yeah, that one gets like juicy. But then you can't talk about anything because it's all like
1: sounds very HR.
0: It is, and it's it's all it's all protected. So the city council can't interfere with it. They can't do anything, and they have to follow very strict rules. And then none of those records are really public. So it's it's like
1: on my own personnel commission.
0: (laughs) no that's actually like one of the ways you can violate like be in violation of the charter like you no know, once you get involved in personnel matters um uh, i think that that was what jerry serrano was trying to pin on um on ceci iglesias was that she interfered directly on personnel matters which she might have done like i'm like i'm not i'm not putting it her. like she was very directly involved in <laughs> whatever she could be um yeah, you know, but it was a kind of weird like defense of like well you're not allowed to do that yeah and technically yeah absolutely right um city council members, uh, for some good reasons, you know, in the sense of not hiring your um, cousins or your nephews or just family members, are not directly involved in hiring and firing at the city. And if they are, you probably should uh, mm-hmm. report that. <laughs> probably should report that.
1: All right.
0: If you're against corruption.
1: Of course. Right.
0: Um, yeah, so, you know, I think with that, that's a that, Pretty much is, like, what I have for for now. Uh, yeah, really appreciate you coming on, um, taking a victory
1: lap. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited. Um, I was wondering when this would happen.
0: <laughs> yeah, so, and the, the joke there is it was supposed to happen during the election, or prior oh, no. to the election. Um, and my schedule did not allow for, and I had to shift my schedule. And then we were unable to reschedule before the election
1: it was so busy Um, but no it's good that you know thank you for having me i know that you have like a long list of guests that you're gonna bring on and so i know you're really busy um, and you know how much I love podcasts. So this is to me like the coolest things I've said that before. and just like seeing it come to life mm-hmm. from when it was like a, an idea for you um, really, really cool. Yeah.
0: yeah, and this has been fun because we get to talk to you know, other people that geek out about like local politics and local um, mm-hmm. issues and you know public policy And to me that's the best. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know one of the fun things has been, tracking down and actually the hardest one of the hardest things about this the whole thing has been tracking down the songs for everybody and like the song rights
1: okay so I I told you what song I wanted right uh,
0: yeah and can you explain let the understand?
1: record show that if I don't get my song I don't approve the publishing
0: <laughs> so what song is it that you'd like
1: um so it is actually by a Salvadorian group Los Cristians yes and um it is called uh
0: yeah, me voy para Santana? Is it, or?
1: Um, God. Um,
0: that's just the. Um,
1: I think that's just like what it says.
0: Okay.
1: Oh, I don't think I have any.
0: No, no, it's okay. Well, we are. You're going to. Let's see. Edgar is going to be putting that song on in the background as we exit the interview. So.
1: So, yeah, it's re- it's very meaningful to me because, of course. Los Christians is a Salvadorian group, and Santana is a uh, place in El Salvador, and I just find it to be um, comforting that it's not just like the motherland that is speaking about the motherland, but you know here in my hometown, Santana,
2: mm-hmm.
1: not being elected to represent the War Three families. No, so. all right, cool. But to be fair, the host did, you know, tell me that. Um normally it's only like all Santa Ana artists. So. Yeah,
0: yeah, we made an exception for this one, but it's normally yes, only you. Santa Ana artists. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll we'll see how the permissions go on this. <laughs> all right. Well well thanks for joining us. Um good luck with your meeting later today. I guess we are heading over to Portola Park.
1: Yeah, we're heading we're heading over to a section of Portola Park. They're having um parking issues over there in that neighborhood and so we're gonna go and talk to the residents and see what we can do. All right.
0: Very cool. All right. Well, have a nice uh, rest of the day, Councilwoman Elect Lopez. Uh, thank you. Cool. Well, uh, thank you all for joining us. Uh, you know, thank you to Jesse Lopez for coming on down, and as always, uh, Edgar uh, Silva with the michael scott paper company studio slash iron lion media slash i'm sure we have another name for the studio as well but it is a wonderful studio that always hosts us Uh, the music that you're listening to in the background is uh, by los cristians out of el salvador so this is going to be a little bit different um and um yeah we'll see how the copyright issues come up for for this particular song it's going to be a little bit harder to track down uh, than people that live in in the city and i can just kind of yeah father in person. <laughs> all right. Well, I hope you all have a nice day. Yeah, you know, thank you all for voting. Santa Ana really came out in this election. I thought it was you know very very great turnout, especially amongst the youth. And uh, yeah, we just got to uh, you know keep on moving things forward. Uh, let me know if you have any questions, other guests that you'd like to have on, and any of that sort of thing. So, all right. Uh, have a nice November, and uh, hopefully everyone can enjoy a remote turkey Thanksgiving with their family. And uh, let's try to avoid getting each other sick. Okay.